Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. This morning, our gospel reading brings us right back to the same field we were standing in last week. In front of us is a wide stretch of good soil over which the sower has spread his seed, fully expecting a bountiful harvest of wheat. But a new player has entered the scene. An enemy snuck in during the night and scattered bad seed unbeknownst to the sleeping field workers. As the plants begin to grow and the weeds appear alongside the wheat, they realize the damage that has been done. In the midst of the field, in the midst of God's kingdom, evil is growing alongside the good. They rush to the sower, demanding answers. What has happened? What should they do? They want to fix it then and there. To their surprise, the sower cautions patience. If they root out the weeds, they may very well root out the wheat, too, unintentionally. The best plan is to wait it out, to let them both grow together until the harvest. In this parable, Jesus once again uses a simple story with layers of meaning to ask hard questions about the world that we live in and what the kingdom of God looks like in that world. Last week, we saw how God, as the sower, sends Jesus as the seed into our hearts to produce his fruit of forgiveness and grace there. That's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. But here now, once again, the picture has been complicated. Sure, it's all nice to think about Jesus being planted in our hearts, But we can all look around us and see lots of things that don't look very much like Jesus. They don't look like the fruit that God's spirit produces. Where do those weedy-looking things come from anyways? And why are we supposed to just put up with them being there? The theologian Frederick Bruner proposes three related questions that this parable asks. If God is good and has sown good seed into the world, why is there evil there? And if the church is supposed to grow from the good seed, why is there evil in the church? And closest to home, if I am a Christian and I grow from the good seed, why is there evil in me? We see the weeds, we see them outside the church, inside the church, and inside ourselves. Despite our trust in the goodness of God and the work of Jesus Christ, everywhere we look, we see everything that the the evil one has gotten into. Now, many, many books have been written to explore the question of the origin of evil, And I'm not going to attempt in this sermon to even summarize the best answers. 
Instead, I will point out this particular parable's contribution. It is clear from this story that evil does not come from the sower. Whatever we might believe about where it does come from, the presence of evil in our world is not a slight on the character of our God. It does not come from him. It is a foreign intrusion into a world that he created to be perfectly good. Thus, in the midst of the evil that we see around us, we can still trust our God. And our trust in the goodness of God, despite the evil around us, is not always easy to cling to. Sometimes it feels threatened by what we see. One could even say that it's threatened by this parable itself because of what the sower asks the field workers to do, or more accurately, what the sower asks them to refrain from doing. This call to be patient in the midst of evil can be confusing and trying. It wasn't what the field workers were expecting to hear from the sower, and it's not our first instinct either. Why wouldn't we resist evil? Aren't we called to that? And yes, we are. There are other scripture passages that we find that clearly call us to stand against evil. So what's going on here? I once read a unique definition of morality that sheds light on this parable. True morality is treating every individual as perfectly individual. Let me unpack that. It essentially means that the only way to make true moral judgments is to understand what makes every single person unique. Their backgrounds, their joys, their pains, their motivations, their struggles. Once a stereotype enters the picture, poor people always act like that, or men are always doing that, we can no longer be trusted to judge a situation because we are operating off of assumptions that do not take into consideration the uniqueness of that individual. Now, this might seem like it's advocating some sort of extreme moral relativism, but it's not. Right is still right, and wrong is still wrong. But the all-pervasive knowledge assumed for this type of morality places every choice and action within a context that allows for the true nature of that action to be evaluated. It does assume that motivations and circumstances matter, but in requiring that every action be known to its fullest extent, it allows standards of right and wrong to be applied with perfect equity and compassion. Now, the problem with this definition is that it's impossible for us as humans to use in the real world. There's no possible way for us to know people this fully or to comprehend the entirety of situations so that we can make these types of moral judgments. 
But what I love about this definition is that it contrasts us with our creator because God is actually capable of this type of morality. I am not, you are not, but God's knowledge of us is so deeply intimate that he can assess and judge every single one of us as an individual, not as a stereotype, without assumptions. As our passage from Isaiah said, he is the first and the last. He exists outside of time in eternity. There is no one like him, and no one can do what he does. And this is the reason why he tells the field workers to be patient with the wheat and the weeds. This is why he calls us to patience in the face of evil. Not because evil is fine and we don't have to worry about it. Not because we should never resist evil or we should let bad people walk all over us. No, in this parable, God calls us to remember that we are finite and mortal and we don't have all the information and that he is infinite and immortal and he does have all the information to make perfect moral judgments. Judgment day will come and evil will get its due but it might not look like what we're expecting it to look like. We cannot tell the weeds from the wheat, but God can. In his book, The Last Battle, which ends the Narnian Chronicles, C.S. Lewis plays with this idea. There's a character, Emmeth. He, for his whole life, has been a devout follower of the god Tash, who is Aslan's arch enemy. Tash and Aslan are complete opposites. Where Aslan is perfectly good, Tash is perfectly evil. Towards the end of the book, Emmeth finds himself in Aslan's country and meets Aslan face to face, finally realizing that he has been deceived his entire life. Fully expecting judgment and death, he kneels before Aslan. But to his surprise, Aslan responds with grace and mercy. Aslan says to him, Child, all the service thou hast done to Tash, I account as service done to me. For I and he are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Emmeth responds by pointing out that he has been seeking after Tash his entire life. Aslan is not deterred. Beloved, he said, unless thy desire had been for me, thou wouldst not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. Even within himself, Emmeth cannot tell the weeds from the wheat, but Aslan can, and so Aslan accepts him, despite a life that seemed to reject the good and the truth. 
And again, this is not some sort of extreme moral relativism. Right is right and wrong is wrong. But sometimes in our mortality and our finiteness, in the essential limitations that come with being human, we can't always tell the difference. This is why we trust in the goodness of God in the face of evil. This is why we trust in the infinity and immortality of God in the face of our finiteness and our mortality. This is why we remember in humility as we move through this world that we do not have all the answers, nor do we see the full picture. Because one day our judgment is coming, and on that day we trust that God in his goodness will look at us through the lens of Jesus Christ and count us as wheat and not as weeds. We trust that God will look at our lives and in his infinite knowledge will count our service done against him as service done for him. We know that we are worthy of condemnation and still we trust his forgiveness and grace because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.